And welcome to this episode of G220 Radio. My name is Mike. I'd like to welcome you to episode number 538. We will be looking at and finishing Proverbs 17. We'll be working through verses 16 through 28. And the title of this show is Joy in Words with Fools and Friends. It's actually kind of backwards of how I'm going to discuss it. But that is our that is the title. And we'll be looking at these passages kind of more within a group and in in general with that. Ricky could not be on the show with us again this week. And just just pray for him. He's been working hard at work and Work's been hard on him, and which is why he cannot be with us tonight. And he will be greatly missed for the show. So we've been uh, traversing through Proverbs 17. This is the third episode we've had. And we've kind of been looking at and examining Proverbs in light of the New Covenant with the foundation of the old, realizing that Proverbs is built upon what Moses wrote. Its foundation is not like, these are just things that Solomon thought up of when he was just kind of laying around thinking of wisdom. They are God-inspired, but they're God-inspired in light of the previous revelation and look forward to and culminate in the one who is better than Solomon, whose wisdom outshines Solomon, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And to, to think about Proverbs in this way helps us to not only understand the general principles in which we can gleam from them, but that these are truths that God has given to us as people created, as image bearers, to live in his world. And in one sense, reflect who he is. We are the image of God. We are to show the world and be like God. Now, we know sin has corrupted us, and so we do not reflect accurately in our sinful estate, our sin nature, what God has called us to be. But he has given us Proverbs to think about not only the implications of immediately within the Proverbs, Proverbs themselves, but also to understand that their applications reach far and wide. And then to understand the principles behind these Proverbs, or even groups together, helps us to be better Christians, better people who seek after the goodness and holiness of God, and to be able to display this goodness to the world. As we've mentioned many times, Proverbs are principles to live by. They are not promises to hold. So you may obey a proverb to the T, it doesn't mean the outcome is guaranteed or sure. But in general, when we follow the wisdom Solomon has given to us, and we recognize what a fool is and what wisdom is and the fear of the Lord, we then can live in God's world the way he has intended us to live. And this is important as our 
witness. As we consider those who do not know the Lord, that living wisely, living in ways that show God's grace in our lives, to show wisdom in learning how to live the way God has told us to live, not only in Proverbs, but throughout the entire canon of Scripture, brings us to a point in which we act differently than the world. And that acting differently of the world is what people will notice. Now, we need to be ready with the gospel. We need to always be proclaiming the gospel. We need to find ways to proclaim the gospel. But to show, in one sense, our lives can be evidence of the change that God has given to us. When we fear the Lord, when we live out biblical principles armed with the gospel of our Lord, people will notice. They may not be knocking down your door to figure out the hope that's within you, but that gives you the testimony. It, it provides not only the spiritual act of the gospel, but as the early church recognized in its evangelism, it also brings the clarity of what the change is, especially to those who are close to you. So when we think about Proverbs in the whole, and as we moved closer to 16 through 28, we understand these in light of Scripture. We understand these within the principles of which God has given to us to live in His world. God, this is God's will for our lives and to, to look at it. So as we now look at these verses, we will first kind of look at verses 16 through 20. And in these verses, we will see the contrast between kind of a fool and a friend. And there's a, there's a movement, really it kind of starts off with this statement about fools and wisdom and buying, moving into friends, and there's kind of this fall as we move back to the fool. So verse 16 through 20, this is from the ESV. God wrote through Solomon, Why should a fool have money in his hands to buy wisdom when he has no sense? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge, but puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Whoever loves transgressions loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. A man of a crooked heart dis does not discover good, and the one with a dishonest tongue falls in calamity. So verse 16 starts us off with this imagery. He is a fool. He has money. And it's asking the question, should a fool use his money to buy wisdom when he has no sense? I think this is a play into to understand that a fool and how he deals with money, which will come up a little bit later, and even in our next portion, that the, the fool has money, but he's not seeking to buy wisdom. And so the question is, why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? So he has the money to, to buy wisdom if wisdom could be bought, but he doesn't have enough wisdom to understand the investment in which wisdom provides. He has no sense. And so we'll, we'll see this play out then as we work through 17 through 20. What does this mean that he doesn't have any sense? He doesn't have wisdom. He doesn't understand. 
and it starts off with a friend. So a friend loves at all times and a brother is born in adversity. I think when we think about this, it seems a little odd. It took me a little bit of studying and reading some commentaries to under kind of better understand. And it's not, there's not this negative aspect of a brother. Like a brother is born to like be an adversary to you type of idea, which, which kind of maybe is what the language sounds like. No, what the language is, is that there's a friend who loves you both in the good and in the bad times. They're by your side. You can count on them in this life. But a brother is born to help you through adversity. You may not be there during the good times. You can hear stories about families in trials becoming closer together. They're not so distance kind of doing their own thing. This is what this verse means, that you have family and family is close and family is good, but they're only kind of growing in adversity a f but a friend someone who's always close by to you loves on you at all times now i don't think we should take these as like a brother or a sister can't be a friend at the same time and there is something there with families that have it but the 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 idea is more about the relationship, the closeness. You can count on a friend. They are always there. We we hope that as with kind of a brother that they are there. And so we we can see here this work so so what kind of let's tie this in so a fool <clears throat> is not a friend it's a foe he brings you into unrighteousness <clears throat> so a friend who loves all times is one who helps us to live in this time they have the wisdom to to give to us and to go verse 18 then moves past this and into kind of this path towards the fool the one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbors. So we see here now this kind of this return back to the idea of money. The one who lacks sense, the one who does not how to use his money, the fool, as we saw in verse 16, he gives a pledge and he puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. This is financially. The, the one who lacks sense does not know how to use their money. In one sense, this gives us the imagery of a fool going and buying something, giving it a pledge, puts up a security or a collateral for what he is buying for. And the presence of his neighbors is just that this is happening and they're going to be the ones who oversee it. This would have been a common in the this time period. The transactions like this would happen at the city gates around the neighbors. It would have been rulers of the city or town would be out there and monitoring this. So the idea of that he's doing it in the presence of his neighbors is just codifying his pledge and security. That he's wanting 
to do something. And we see here the one, the one who lacks sense is the one who is doing this. They are not counting the cost. They're not rightly using their money. They're not being wise about it. And so the fool in verse 16 who has money, he's not going to buy sense. He's not going to buy wisdom because he doesn't know how to use his money. He doesn't know. He doesn't have the wisdom to think about his money godly. And so he he does without action, he pulls out in our case, we could probably say maybe loans in order to get stuff. And this plays a part when we get into verse 19 and thinking about the one who makes his door high seeks destruction in the second part of verse 19. Because the one who seeks his door high is one who uses his money to show power, to show, to have dominance. That he's compared to the one who loves transgressions, loves strife. So, so this money idea comes into now, I'm going to show it off. I'm going to belittle. I'm going to be prideful about my money. So he's going to make his door high. He's going to make it where it's towering over others. Showing, look at what I have done. Look at the money I have made. He's using it for his own glorification. As we saw last week, we see it again. This kind of putting oneself above brings about destruction. Pride comes before the fall. And this very real way now, the, the fool... Unlike the friend who loves and will try to give wisdom and how to kind of act within these ways, the fool makes it known. He flaunts his riches. And he's also compared to one who loves transgressions, loves strife. So those who like to cross boundaries, who like to sin cause strife. And when we, we think about that in relation to the money, they're, they're trying to get stuff. There is this now kind of idea of extorting from the poor, from the weak. Instead of trying to build them up and to, to help them to have a better lives and to give them ways to be sustainable, they present themselves above. They present themselves as higher than others. And in doing so, they love to transgress God's laws. They may even transgress the nation's laws. And in doing so, they show what they really love. They love strife. They may not say that. I don't, I don't know anyone who says, yeah, I just like, I like all this drama around me. I like it when I'm causing all this drama. No, they're, they're not, they're not saying that. But their actions, their actions are. See, when we, we put ourselves first, when we think that we know better than what God has called us to do, 
when when we love transgression, it brings about the destruction which sin brings about. Sin seeks to destroy. Sin does destroy. When we sin, we break relationships, not only with God, but the people we've sinned against. And so the one who, in one sense, loves themselves, who who transgress God's law, thinking they are better, they love the, the strife. And they seek after it. And because of their pride and because they want to build the bigger house, they want to look down on those who have not, they seek their own destruction. They will receive their reward. They will receive the praises of men on earth and they will face the judgment of God in the earth to come. That's if God does not expose their sins beforehand and uses the power of the government to expose them. And so in verse 20, we see here a crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. It sums this all up. We want faithful friends who will love us at all times. One who does not love transgressions. Why? Because the one who loves transgression, the fool who has money to buy wisdom but has no sense to do it, He's a man of a crooked heart. And crooked hearts do not discover good because they love transgressions. They love disobedience. There is nothing they can find that is good. And the one with dishonest tongues, that is a lying tongue, one who does not use their words wisely, will fall in calamity. They will find, again, strife and discretion. A lying lips are abomination to the Lord. And when we think about these things and how our friends act, that we want we want a friend that is that is close and to love us and to to show us our sins and to help disciple us godly friends that show us and and push us towards the goodness and holiness of God. Because fools, they don't like God. Those in the world, though they may at times say things that are true because they live in God's world, they are men with crooked hearts. And they ultimately don't find good. And so these these verses these verses call us to be ones who look at our friends. Are we close to those who will love us at all times? Or those who will only drag us into sin? Verses 21 and 28 then kind of move us towards kind of the joys and of life and the wisdom in just our words. When we think about how does this play out? What does this kind of mean for our lives is, is that there is wisdom in how we use words, what we do with our words. And verse 21 starts us off out by saying, who, who, he who sires a fool gets himself 
sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. And, and to, to bring this, kind of to, to think about this, the one who here it says sires are, are born, bore, bears a fool, brings sorrow. Foolishness brings sorrow. And so the fool who lacks sense, who's not going to use his money to buy wisdom, he brings to himself, he brings to his father, the one who bore him, his family, sorrow. There's no joy because sin destroys. Sin does not bring joy. The spirit pricks our conscience and brings us down. So when people are acting foolishly, it affects their family. When a son acts foolishly, the family suffers. And so we need to consider then how do we bring about this? How do we try to stop raising a fool? And kind of even thinking about this and, and to considering it, I think a lot of it is, I know my family has tried to correct this, is that families are not, in one sense, training their children in the Lord. We talked. I talked about this, or I've had classes on this in seminary. And that kind of in American evangelicalism, there is kind of this passing of religious training onto the, at sometimes not qualified youth ministers, the ones who maybe aspire to be pastors. And I think as, as we, we think about, even as we move on, that how families raise their kids make impact. We have the pro we have the proverbs: "Raise a child in the way of the Lord, and when he gets old, he shall not depart from it." So there is this training. You think of Deuteronomy six: that Scripture should be so integrated in our life that it's like it's written on the doorpost or on our forehead. So the one who gives birth to a fool, in one sense, we can say and that there was no discipline, not saying that's always the case, and we can see it later. But that as as families, how we treat, how, how are we going to prevent our children to become fools? I think part of it too, and as we go to verse 22, is a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And to think about how this then plays out in our family dynamics. And, and this is at times this confessionally that this is, hasn't always been true of me towards my kids, but a, a joyful heart has the gospel changed 
your heart. I mean, we can easily look around at our circumstances, at the world around us, especially as in America, as Christianity becomes the thing everyone hates. You're on the verge of even losing your job in the name of tolerance because you're a Christian. We can get so crushed by that, that that affects our family life circumstances in it. And and I, I say this as one who is going through this kind of right now. A joyful heart is good medicine. I think there's there's one one sense in which to to show to help our kids learn to help even us is to think about what a joyful heart does. When we are, are filled with the joy of the Lord, we are filled and experience his goodness towards us. It revives our hearts. It, it brings about what Jesus talks about that we have life and we have it abundantly. And while our children, I think this is an example to our children, is do we have a joyful heart? Are we ones that can be characterized? Now, this isn't this happy-go-lucky but it's it's a positional of thinking about God's goodness in my life and being revived to live. But a crushed spirit dries up bones. And that and that there's this this idea of death that happens that when a spirit is is crushed it it in, in a sense kills a person. And thinking about how that affects our children's lives and even how I think about situations and then when things happen, I mean, just even recently, my wife, and I've been talking about this um, and just in the harshness at times I talk to my children, this isn't a good thing. Let's um, set it up, but it, it, it crushes them. It, it destroys them. And, and we'll even see a little bit, um, later in verse 27 about a cool spirit and a man of understanding and, and what that looks like. I think when we think about how we interact with our children, are we joyfully displaying God's works in our lives? And, and is that a way in which we can show our children's our children and in either and other people this idea of joy verse 23 the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice again when we think about Here, the money, the bribe, the wicked accept a bribe in secret and to pervert the way of justice. That when we act in ways that we accept bribes and pervert justice, that it brings about death sorrow there is no joy people are hurt and when 
we think about what it means to accept bribes, to be bribed, whatever it may be, to, to accomplish what the other person, and look who's the, the wicked one, the, the wicked accept a bribe. Now, we've talked about the person who tries to buy bribes. Verse 23 is talking about the one who accepts them. That they accept a bribe to pervert the way of justice. That they're not acting justly. They're accepting money to show power over the people. They're, they're not going to rightly judge. There is no wisdom there. Again, if we think about this in a cheerful heart and a crushed spirit, how crushing do these, these, these wicked people don't care. They crush the spirit of those who are now being treated unjustly. when they should have acted justly and brought apart a joyful heart. See, they, they seek the, the destruction. So when the wicked accept a bribe, they perverted justice. Now, God does accept any bribes from us. And we kind of, we could talk about this in the way legalism works as I try to work my way and prove to God, look, you don't need to judge me. I'm good enough. That's not how God is. God is the example. God is not wicked. He does not accept a bribe in secret. His, his ways, his justice is not perverted. Because justice brings life. When justice is correct, it brings life. The wicked then who accept a bribe brings about sorrow. And when we teach our kids to pervert justice by accepting bribes, by kind of the, and however that may be done, when it is revealed, it brings sorrow to the family. It's, it's connected. And in verse 24, Solomon writes, The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Again, when we, we think about here again the idea of money where what do we set our face are we going for wisdom or in this case are we going for something else godless this is could even be related to verse 23 Three, when we think about a bribe and money, that the eyes of the fool are set on the ends of the earth. There is this kind of idea of prosperity, the things of this world. And so when we we think about what what are they where are we and in turn, how are we raising our kids? What are we setting our face towards? Are we setting our face towards wisdom, towards God, to live into in His world? Are we setting our face on the ends of the earth, on the things of this world? And our kids see this. This is something we've, I don't know if we've necessarily talked about it on G220, but it's something to consider when we look at the kind of the, the falling away of 
Christians in college or just in general. And it can be noticed and seen that when, with the rise of the kind of modern church movement, and especially the mega church movement, thinking of, I mean, Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, and the church growth movement, that people were calling some, themselves Christians, but they weren't acting like them. They weren't, in one sense, raising their kids in the fear and admiration of the Lord. And that church was kooky. It was focused on the things of the world. Movies, music. And that what kids were seeing and hearing on Sundays, they were not seeing in their kids or in their parents Monday through Saturday. They were they went to church, but they didn't live out the Christian life. And so there is this noticeable in which these kids are just like, is this even real? My parents are telling me to do one thing, but they're doing the opposite. In fact, they're not even at one point, at some points listening to what their pastor is saying. I think, and we can even nail this even down on pastors, but I think we see here, and we should accept this as our own, is that wisdom, the discerning ones, the wise ones, they set their face on God. Because it's the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we know that when we lack wisdom, we can come to God and he grants wisdom graciously, abundantly. And so, so when we think about wisdom and, and the things of this world, the, the wise ones, the, the parents who seek to instill this kind of look towards God as opposed to the things around, the things in the ends of the earth. When we point our kids to God, We, we teach them the things of God. We raise them up to be wise people. That's the goal. Now, God has to change their hearts. But God uses the fruit of his word to change the hearts. But see, the fool, the parents who went to church on Sunday but lived like the world Monday through Saturday— well, their eyes weren't truly fixed on the Savior, on the one who gives wisdom. Their eyes were fixed on the things of this world, and their kids saw the hypocrisy. And we see it in the arguments now on the church. Well, church people are just a bunch of hypocrites. And in one sense, they are, because none of us are perfect. And we claim the name of Jesus. And then with Paul, we identify that we do the things we don't want to do, and we don't do the things that we want to do. But what they're really saying, and we should take seriously, and to answer, is that Christians have not always set their face towards wisdom, and that's wrong. Continuing on kind of this idea and reminding us, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. To, to think about 
kind of in being reminded of foolishness does not just affect the person, it affects the family. It brings grief to the father. I can think of people right now that I know in my life that are grieved because of actions of their sons. And these are, these are godly men who've tried to raise their children in the fear and admiration of the Lord, and the Lord has not saved them yet. He has not changed their hearts and the grief of these fathers about their sons and their mothers and their grandmothers. Foolishness affects the people around you. And so I think this even to, to just to reiterate the importance of Christian families seeking to bring about in their kids' life the joy of the Lord. It's not always joyful. And it's at times frustrating. But just in our own lives, as we've tried to seek to do family devotions, and when, just this past Sunday, they're reading scripture and my daughter recognizes the words of scripture she's memorized. And the joy it comes when they're singing the hymns that we have taught them. It brings joy into our lives. It brings hope. Maybe all of this striving is worth it. Because foolishness affects them, affects the family. Again, thinking about justice in verse 26, we see here to impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprights. This is, in one sense, you're calling good evil and evil good. So it's not good. It's it's perversion of justice to impose a fine on people, on, on righteous people, people who follow or following God's commands. Those who we may disagree with at times. Or maybe how they're they're living their lives. You can think of the the stronger, weaker brother. I don't think this is not to oppose one or the other. I think this this proverb works on both. But to to impose a fine, to impose a punishment on a righteous man is not good. That is not justice. It's injustice. You're you're punishing good. Or to again strike the noble, the the ones who are who are doing good, who are walking in the ways of the Lord, because they're walking in the ways of the Lord, because they're upright. This is not good. And and then to to think about this in this family dynamics that verse twenty one. And verse 25 has has brought a, about to us is to, to think about I can't even rash judgments on our kids when they really might not necessarily have sinned. to kind of impose this, this punishment for non-sin-related items, grievances that maybe I have, or maybe stuff that is just not wise, but isn't in direct disobedience to God's commands. 
And so to to impose this onto the people. And I think as as we think about again, are we how do we not bear a fool? How do we how do we we grow our children and to those who are wise? It's it's not again that that I I obey this like I should. But it's to to recognize and not to punish for non-sin related things, not to not to go and to bring about discipline for it. Now there's times to train kids. There's trying to show them this is how we act towards others. This is our common courtesies in which we have in our culture that show the dignity of people or just general hygiene and to, to strike a non or sin lady. I think it, 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 there it crushes the spirit. And in verse 27, we see here, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So this kind of juxtaposes what we just saw earlier. The one who disciplines the righteous man, the one who, who, goes after them is kind of in some sense contrary to one who is restrains his words, who holds back. He is, has a cool spirit. He's not one who flies off the handlebars. As we would say, he's not striking hard and fast. This isn't a, like a wartime when you're trying to gain an advantage. So the one who restrains his words, who holds back his words, has knowledge. There's this, and the one with the cool spirit is a man of understanding. There's this kind of, again, this thoughtfulness. This is thinking about it. They're not reactionary. They're not given into their passions, their emotions. This doesn't mean they're they're stoic or have no emotions or only seek pleasurable emotions. They have emotions. But they have self-control. They have a cool spirit. I think this relates into having a joyful heart. They 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 see the situation and they seek to, to have the understanding to deal with it, to bring about life, even in situations in which the dimmest of light of life is there. The, the foolish son is continually acting like the fool and it looks like there's no end instead of the parent with unrestrained, without having self-control lashing out. There's a restraining there. It's how hard is this? I mean, again, just thinking in my own life, how, my emotions and how I feel and at times quick to lose my temper is, is not what we're called to do. We're not emotionless, but we have self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. Kind of self-control and patience. And, and thinking of how those work kind of in our relationships. 
the the idea of of having that self control is that there's something there that has triggered emotionally, and they know to have self control. This could even deal with excitement, and 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 stopping and thinking and even in all the excitement and considering what is happening. But I think most of the time we see this when our anger is kindled and God is slow to anger. And this verse calls us to act like him. God is not flying off the handlebars. He has a cool spirit. His emotions do not get in his way. And finally, in verse 28, we see here that even a fool he keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips, his deemed intelligence. Our words reveal who we are. And when we're considering the sorrowfulness of our children and, and what they bring when they act foolishly, and we're to, to consider that a fool who does not talk is considered wise. Because in one sense, he's embodying what embodying what we just saw in verse 27. He's restraining his lips, his words. He has a cool spirit. So even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And we should consider that. I think even in our and how we deal with our children and how we interact on social media and to to think about what that what that shows. Now the question is could a fool actually keep silent? But it or just the the observation that one who restrains even for a fool who restrains their words can be seen as wise. Now, you know, a fool immediately by his speech. So when they open up their mouths, they will show who they really are. But for that time, and I think we should consider and maybe learn from a foolish person who does keep silent, that they're making the right choice. They're remaining silent. And even when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligence. And when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligence. There is, there is wisdom in not always speaking. And that even a fool can deceive when they do not speak. And this plays back into, I think, how if we think about it within the family context of just, and as we've taught or try to teach our children, it is good for them to not speak and to listen, to keep silent. There is wisdom there because a multitude of words brings sin. Speaking too much brings sin. But when we, we stop and we consider, we restrain our words, even when we, even when those who do not seek God do it, they seem to be wise. And I think there's, again, kind of what James, that there's this idea of being quick to listen and slow to speak. And that's, there's wisdom there. And a fool who shows even that shows wisdom and it should be considered for it so that is our show for 
tonight. That was episode 538. We were looking at Proverbs 16 through 28. Thank you for joining us tonight, or if you're on Podbean, whenever you are listening. If you enjoyed this, consider subscribing and liking. Check our um, descriptions for ways if you want to help support us. And it, we are grateful if you do, and if nothing else, pray for us. We are thankful for that too. For Ricky, my name is Mike. Thank you for listening to G220. You have a good night.